Welcome to Business Pants Free Floats daily podcast covering all things business news, all things ESG news, all things corporate woke wars. The geniuses here at Free Float, Ari, Jesse, and Matt, believe in this stuff so much that they made a product to sell directly to you. It's called Board Sabermetrics, and it puts the who back into ESG. It's Tuesday, which means it's time for our Business Pants Corporate Theater, America's longest-running corporate theater troupe dedicated to dramatizing and satirizing business news headlines. Business Pants Corporate Theater will be performing live on stage in June in the great city of Portland, Maine. More details to come if you are looking for a weekend getaway from your corner office suite high above Madison Avenue. But come on, let's get to the good stuff. Our corporate theater players tonight are the extraordinary Courtney Cook, Phil Hawk, Ashley Kutzer, Mark McGee, and Molly McGill. This week on the show, a Tupperware history lesson. King Kong complains about the new obesity drug. And a conversation about the homelessness crisis. Up first, how about a bedtime story? This week, it's the forgotten story of Brownie Wise, the ingenious marketer behind the Tupperware party. Earl Tupper invented the container's seal, but it was a savvy, convention-defying entrepreneur who got the product line into the homes of Housewives. Uh... I've got that tougher feeling up in my head, up in my head, up in my head. Tough... All right, kiddo, time for bed. But you know what that means? Right. A story. A business story. Kelsey, you have got to be the only nine-year-old that requests stories about the corporate world, and you know what? I'm pretty okay with that. Billy Tyler likes stories about 19th century robber barons. Uh, it's because Billy Tyler's dad is a 21st century robber baron. I thought he worked for the bank. Same thing. No, your interest is much more layered. You seem to generally want to know how this crazy capitalistic system works. And being a harsh critic of that system for most of my 40 years, there's no better person to give you all of its blood-sucking details. <laughs> Billy's dad says you're a communist. Mm, good. Let him think that. I'm not a communist, but if it strikes the fear of God into that money-obsessed, limited-thinking, right-wing wingnut, <laughs> so be it. Stay classy, Mom. Always, my dear. Okay, so tonight we're going to learn about a very influential business woman. Yes! Her name was Brownie Wise. Sounds like a name for a hobbit. 
No, a wizard. Brownie the Wise. <laughs> Brownie the Wise was much more of a wizard than a hobbit. She was a female business visionary that did not shy away from sharing her ideas and making herself known in a time when women didn't really do that. When was that? The 1950s. Oh, the 1950s. That's when women and minorities were constantly oppressed by evil and scared white men living high in their ivory towers, right? <laughs> well, you could actually say that has happened in every decade to this day, but yeah. So how did Brownie the Wise defeat the evil men in the ivory towers? Well, defeat may not be the right word. Okay, so I was reading today that a company called Tupperware is tanking financially. They're on their last legs and it may be the end to this once very popular and powerful company. What kind of company are they? They created plastic food storage containers and they had that revolutionary watertight and airtight double seal lid that helped food stay fresh for a much longer time. Boo, plastic. (laughs) Well, yeah, but remember... This was a time when many people couldn't afford refrigerators. So these containers were a godsend. And they were so cool looking too. They came in light pastel colors and they were designed to stack well in cabinets. So of course they were marketed to the good old American housewife who ate them up. Tupperware was hugely popular and a game changer in the way they sold their products. And that brings us to Brownie Wise. Oh, Brownie the Wise. Her actual name was Brownie Mae Humphrey, and when Tupperware came out, she was a single mom without a job. Like you were last year. Right. Brownie the Wise loved Tupperware and had a vision that the best way to sell it was women selling to other women. And that's what she started doing. She began selling at home parties and created a social networking marketing system through dealers and sellers that quickly outsold Tupperware's store sales. Brownie the Wise had a vision. She sure did. Soon, Brownie the Wise's success caught the attention of Tupperware's inventor, the evil and very stodgy Earl of Tupper. The Earl of Tupper? One of the evil, scared white men living in the ivory tower? Yes, most definitely. Well, his real name was just Earl Tupper, and he's the villain of our story. Boo, Earl of Tupper. So, the Earl of Tupper noticed the success of Brownie the Wise and invited her to be vice president of Tupperware Home Parties in 1951. Oh, well, that doesn't sound so evil. I mean, appointing a woman to such a high executive title was pretty progressive for the 50s, right? Correct, but even though she was paid a decent yearly salary, the Earl of Tupper prevented her from getting a formal contract with Tupperware. Ah, but why? She was making the company money. She was doing a better job than the men were. No, no, wait, I know what you're going to say. You should, because I mentioned this horrible creature in almost every story. The woman-hating, green-eyed monster Monster, of misogyny. I don't really... Like that guy, Mom. As well, you shouldn't. The Earl of Tupper gave in to that monster. And the only reason he let Brownie the Wise in the executive suite at all is because she was making lots and lots of money for Tupperware. Her home party concept became a national sensation. And women all across the country began hosting their own Tupperware parties. Brownie the Wise was empowering women in the name of Tupperware. And you can imagine that, even though he was taking in all the cash. The Earl of Tupper hated that. This better end with Brownie the Wise slaying the green-eyed monster of misogyny and knocking the Earl of Tupper out of his ivory tower. Do any of these stories end that way, Kelsey? Um, no. 
but I'm still hopeful one will. If anyone can change things, it sure looks like Brownie the Wise can. Well, she sure tried. Brownie the Wise insisted that the Earl of Tupper market his products exclusively through party plans, where women invited friends and neighbors to a combination social event and sales presentation. She insisted. Nice. Exactly. Women didn't do a lot of that back then. Anyway, Brownie the Wise had the freedom to implement her vision of marketing strategies. She enabled thousands of women to have a career at a time when a woman's role was conventionally tied to the home. Brownie the Wise made TV appearances, was featured in magazine and newspaper articles, and became a huge celebrity. In 1954, she became the first woman to appear on the cover of Business Week. That was unheard of. Yay, Brownie the Wise. But that must have made the Earl of Tupper pretty mad. Okay, Mom, just break it to me. How does the Earl ruin all of this? Well, hold on a minute. Things were going great for Brownie and Tupperware for a few years. Sales were soaring in 1954. More and more women became dealers and distributors. And not just white women in the suburbs. We're all women, herbal women, black women. They all were inspired by Brownie the Wise's wonderful, self-affirming philosophy on business and life. But... But, you're right... The evil and stodgy Earl of Tupper found it difficult to deal with Brownie the Wise's immense popularity as the face of Tupperware. The two had frequent disagreements about how business should be run, with Brownie the Wise almost always in the right. And by the late 1950s, the Earl of Tupper was thinking of selling the company and giving in to the monster of misogyny. <laughs> he thought it would be less attractive to sell the company with an outspoken woman at the helm. <laughs> Of course he did. Of course he did. So in January 1958, he and the board of directors fired Brownie the Wise. They said it was due to their frequent disagreements. And remember how I said earlier that she never had a formal contract with Tupperware? Well, because of that, they weren't obliged to pay her any severance. Did Brownie the Wise fight back with her sword of anti-misogynistic justice? <laughs> sword of anti-misogynistic justice? That's a, that's a good one. That's good, Kelsey. Yes, Brownie the Wise did fight back. She took them to court and won. But since she didn't have a formal contract, they only gave her a one-time payout of a year's salary, which was around 30 grand. Still, a nice chunk of change for 1958, but not nearly as much as she deserved. She brought that company millions! Not long after, the Earl of Tupper sold the company for $16 million, divorced his wife, gave up his U.S. citizenship to avoid taxes, and bought an island off the coast of Costa Rica, where he lived happily ever after until his death in 1983. Are you kidding me? I know, I know. Instead of being slayed by the sword of anti-misogynistic justice, the Earl of Tupper lived his last days in South American luxury. And the monster of misogyny still roams the corporate world to this day. But Brownie the Wise still made a huge impact in the business world and for women everywhere. Many other large companies like Mary Kay Cosmetics, copied the home party selling formula she perfected, and her legacy continues to this day in so many ways. What happened to her? 
Well, she tried starting a couple companies afterwards, but none succeeded like Tupperware. She owned some real estate in Florida and lived a quiet life there making raku, a type of Japanese ceramic pottery traditionally used in tea ceremonies. And she died in 1992. Hmm. I love that Brownie the Wise made raku pottery. She was very cool. She was. She definitely was. So now it looks like the company is about to crash and burn. <laughs> Good. Karma's a Whoa, bit- whoa, whoa. Seriously, Mom. After treating Brownie that way? You may be right. Tupperware only added Brownie's name to their official company history in 2016, when they created a park in her honor at the corporate headquarters. 2016. Yep, they deserve to burn. Well, this story is more about Brownie than Tupperware. I like giving these stories a bit of fairy tale flair, but you know that these aren't fairy tales, right? They're real stories about real people, people you should know about. I know, Mom. Thanks for telling me about Brownie the Wise. I really like her. She was a real pioneer. Yes, a pioneer for women everywhere. And we will always remember her and never forget that the world is full of Earl of Tupper characters and, of course, the green-eyed monster of misogyny. They're still out there, and we need to battle them every day. Maybe Billy Taylor's dad is right. Maybe you are a communist. Oh, yeah? Well, maybe you're a Marxist libertarian. (laughs) You're a leftist socialist. You're a theocratic fascist. You're a Baptist conservative. Oh, you take that back. (laughs) I will not. You think you're so funny, Mm -hmm. don't you, you little... Now let's go to a little town in New Jersey where things are really popping. Yes, there's a party going on at Mrs. Betty Martin's house. It's a Tupperware party. And it's really fun. The girls get together and meet their old friends and make some new ones. Then there's a demonstration by one of the Tupperware dealers who lives in your community. Watch her show the way to use Tupperware's patented seal. See? You put the seal on tight, then press down the center and lift the seal a bit at one side. Hear that? That's Tupperware's airtight promise to lock in flavor and lock out air. So salads keep their... And gelatin desserts keep their... Since Tupperware can't spill or leak, you can store it any which way in your freezer or refrigerator. Plan to have or attend a Tupperware party soon. Just look in the yellow pages under housewares or plastics for your nearest Tupperware distributor. Or write Tupperware, Orlando, Florida. Every hostess receives a valuable gift from Tupperware. And between now and May 6th, Both hostess and guest can receive an extra special gift. We'll unwrap the package later on, so stay tuned. Up next, King Kong calls his agent to complain about all the headlines linking him with Eli Lilly's new obesity drug. This is Kong. Listen, Hal, I'm seeing my name in the newspaper today, and and it's not good. Well, let me read you a few headlines. The King Kong of weight loss drugs is coming. There may be a new King Kong drug that provides huge weight loss benefits. A new King Kong obesity treatment gains ground. I mean, what the hell, Hal? Uh, It's this drug called uh, Manjaro. Mungjaro. 
yeah, it's a drug for diabetes, but now Eli Lilly and other pharma companies are going to use it for obesity. Listen, Hal, I, I don't want to be associated with this. Uh, did you get any inkling that they were going to use my name? Well, why didn't you say anything? You're my agent, for Christ's sake. No, you're right. I wouldn't have agreed to it. It's an obesity drug, Hal. W why would I want to be associated with that? Okay, it's an anti-obesity drug, but I still don't like it. What do you think people see here? King Kong hand in hand with obesity. That's what they see. That's not what I'm about, Hal. I've always, always focused on engaging in a healthy lifestyle. I exercise constantly. I work out about five hours a day. You can't climb up the frickin' Empire State Building without working out, Hal. Oh, and I fought Godzilla, Hal. Godzilla. You think I could do that while being a 75-foot, 100-ton sloth sitting on my couch watching my old movies all day? Damn right I couldn't. I, I mean, I know I lost that fight, but still, the whole thing was rigged anyway. And another thing, I'm a goddamn vegetarian. People know that, Hal. I've never eaten an animal or a human being on screen or otherwise in all my 157 years. Jesus, Hal, this is just wrong. Well, yes, I do have issues with the drug, too. I think this is a terrible thing to put on the market. Uh, obesity is such a serious, serious problem, especially in America. Exercise and a healthy diet should definitely be promoted more, no, not new drugs that can shed the extra weight off in an abnormally short time without any change to diet or physical activity. I can see the ridiculous rationalizations already. Oh, I can still eat five pounds of sugar today because I'm going to take Monjaro tonight. Or, hey, pass the salt and give me another bacon fat smoothie. I'm on Monjaro. It's a friggin' enabler drug, and I do not want to be connected with it in any way. A spokesperson? So that's what this is all about? They use my name without asking, and then a spokesperson proposal is pushed in my face? Unbelievable. These pharma companies are outrageous. No, Hal, tell them King Kong says no. Well, send it to Godzilla then. I don't care. They're not going to blackmail me by saying the offer will go to my biggest rival. I don't care. H how much? Send me the paperwork. Right, I could be in New York by Friday. Bye, Hal. Fuck you, Godzilla. Before I get to our last sketch... Let me once again thank our Business Pants Corporate Theater. In alphabetical order they are... Courtney Cook, Philip Hawk, Ashley Kutzer, Mark McGee, and Molly McGill. Let's end today's show with a heartwarming conversation between Frank and Dolores. Last time we visited with our favorite 1950s power couple, they were talking about M&M's going woke. This week, they are here to share their observations about the homelessness crisis. Is that you, Frank? Of course it's me, Dolores. Who else comes in through the front door without knocking? Is this something you want to tell me, Dolores? <laughs> Sally from next door sometimes comes in without knocking. 
I thought she stopped when she caught me in my boxers at one time. <laughs> it shook her up for a few weeks, but she got over oh, it. Hardy har har. <laughs> did the car pass an inspection? It did. Despite needing a left taillight bulb, which I convinced him I could replace myself. I'm not paying the ridiculous labor charge for a simple bulb. Oh, you should have had him do it, Frank. I know how to replace a bulb, Dolores. It's not the skill. It's the act of actually doing it. I'll do it. Don't you worry. Well, I have an oven light that begs to differ with you. Uh, hey, you know that homeless guy that stands on the intersection of Holly and Elm? Uh, the young man with the bike? Oh, he's very nice. I gave him some change the other day. Did you give him some change? Uh, well, no, because I was waiting for the light to change and, and gave him a look over. He, he was wearing a white shirt that I could have sworn was ironed. He was wearing a press shirt. And it looked like he had an iPhone in his pocket. Maybe he was happy to see you, Frank. No, that's not funny, Dolores. <laughs> Maybe he was in a press shirt because he had somewhere nice to go today. Somewhere nice to go? If he had somewhere nice to go, can he get a damn job? <laughs> Maybe he was going to an interview for a job. Maybe he has a job, Frank. Not everyone begging on the street is homeless and without a job. What are you talking about, Dolores? Why are these people begging on the street if they have homes and jobs? That's got to be illegal. That ain't right. Remember when I made you come with me to help out at the soup kitchen? You did not make me, Dolores. <laughs> oh, I made you, Frank. And then you immediately had a fit that the kitchen was serving everyone salmon that night? Salmon? You know how expensive salmon is? No, that didn't bode well for me, Dolores. So people in need shouldn't be allowed to have good food? Food that they normally wouldn't have? Is that what you're saying? That's not what I'm saying, Dolores. But come on, salmon? I don't even eat salmon. Well, salmon gives you hives, Frank. Besides, that salmon was most likely donated from a local restaurant right before they threw it out. I think it's wonderful that some restaurants do that instead of just throwing it away. Anyway, back to my point. Remember how a lot of those people didn't always fit the homeless stereotype? The young families that came in wearing regular, clean-looking clothes? Look, I know you do, because I remember you commenting about that, too. Yeah, some of those guys were even clean-shaven. That didn't bode well for me, either. <laughs> so, if someone in need doesn't look like a Depression-era bum stereotype, you discredit them altogether? If they don't look like Red Skelton's Freddy the Freeloader character, then they're just scam artists? You're so out of touch with what defines a person in need in 2023, Frank. Oh, well, why don't you enlighten me, Dolores? Tell me how people with homes and jobs and iron clothes and new iPhones and brand new bikes. That guy at the intersection has a shiny new bike. Tell me how all those people are in need. Oh, okay. I'll go slow, Frank, so you can understand. You have to realize that in this reality we live in, people's lives can turn on a dime. An unforeseen life-changing event, um, an illness, a job loss, an unplanned expense. There are myriads of situations that can occur that can cause someone to lose everything. And if you're not financially prepared, which most aren't, it can happen overnight. You know Stephen Crowley. He lives uh, at the end of the street. He was laid off six months ago. His wife still works, but to save on childcare, he's staying home with the kids doing a few uh, work-from-home temp jobs. He went on the exchange for his health care and, and got a low rate. 
But now he just found out that they overestimated his premium credit, and now he owes about 500 extra dollars in taxes because of that. Their savings is tapped, and he doesn't know how he's going to pay that. Unexpected circumstances, Frank. Stephen could lose his house, his car overnight. And if he decided to start asking for help on the street corner tomorrow, he'd still have his white shirts, his iron, his iPhone, and his electric razor. You don't become someone in need and immediately become Cinderella, changing back to her rags at midnight, Frank. As in everything in life. They're degrees. Despite how much you want it to be, this world is not black and white. It's a gray world, Frank. It always has been. So think about that the next time you start to judge someone on the corner asking for help. Oh, I, I wasn't judging, Dolores. I was just asking a question. And like I said, maybe that nice guy at the corner has a job. Not every place has increased their hourly wage. There's still people working two or, or three jobs just to get by. I'll not bore you with my views on a living wage, corporate greed, or universal health care right now. But you know how I feel. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. You know, Frank, we've been very lucky. We had good jobs. We were able to save a little and have wonderful support from our family and friends. Not everyone has that. And those of us that do need to look out for those that don't. Oh. Well, where are you going now? I'm taking a covered dish to the Crowleys. Uh, and don't worry, it's not salmon. Well, I'll go with you. The taillight bulb can wait. That would be nice, Frank. You really should have had the mechanics change that bulb, though. I can change a light bulb, Dolores. Can you hear that? It's the oven light laughing at you. Oh, hardy, hard, hard, Dolores. All right. Well, here, here, take your coat. Oh, I don't need a coat. All right. It's a little cold outside, Frank. All right. We are bored, Sabermetrics, and we will be back tomorrow. Without this silly voice, I promise. And please, go ahead. Share this podcast with your pal.